Did you guys know today's Pentecost? Yeah, we just hit that number 50, right? That 50 days after the Passover. And, and um, you know, so um, I, I think I wanted to do a little bit of a history lesson today. And I'll probably try to run through it just because I think it's, it's really, it's important that we understand these things well enough to be able to articulate them, teach them ourselves in situations like that. But also because the meaning behind the reality of this new covenant is brilliant, you know. And backstory to Pentecost which is like the inauguration of Christianity. What people call spirit-filled Christianity. There's no such thing as Christianity that's not spirit-filled. That's kind of what Christianity is. Um, but it's the inauguration of this, of this, what people say is the, first, you know, the birth of the church and stuff like this. You know. But um, there, there's some history behind, behind it. You know, obviously, you know, the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve chose the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the knowledge of what good was and what evil was, the, the ability to judge, thinking it would cause them to be powerful and to become like God, which they were created in his image. And so the, there was rebellion. There was a rebellion against God. They chose to, to follow the voice of the serpent, the Nakash. And, and obviously there was some sort of rebellion by the serpent himself because he was there trying to do dirt. So there was other rebellions before, but, um, you know, that was the first the, the first one that caused man to walk in a, in, in a veiled walk, you know, out of the Garden of Eden, out of heaven on earth, out of their, their mandate to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, you know, you know re- release Eden, heaven, all over the entire world, take the place over. And, and so the Bible has some of these rebellions, and it's a story of how God was going to redeem us from those choices and from the fall of mankind and from sin entering into our lineage and, and changing the image of God who man was created in to something else. And, and so you have Genesis 6 as well, you know, the, another rebellion, you know, angels that made a deal to come down and, and copy, you know, take, take women, human women as their wives, you know, and they created the Nephilim, the giant clans and all this, they, they filled the earth with Another breed, another being, and, and, and so, of course, we have the flood that comes over and kind of wipes the majority of that off. Then you have um, some funny business that happens after the flood. You know, we, some of you will know the stories. I know I'm going quickly through these, but, you know, Genesis goes into to Noah and Noah's family and his lineage. And Noah gets off the ark and, and kind of has a party with his own sauce, you know, the, the, the fruit of his own vineyard. Right, and, and, and drinks way too much of it, and next thing you know, something dark happens. And um, his son, you know, gazed upon his nakedness, but there's obviously some reading in between the lines there because he wakes up and he curses, you know, his son's children, you know, his grandchildren. He cursed, cursed be, you know, this, the lineage of, of Ham, his son. And so we have this, this rebellion that is somehow invited something else dark into the world that has just been fully redeemed in the flood, so to speak, you know. And so we have the resurgence of the bad guys, the Nephilim, the giant clans of of the Old Testament, who David is against. And before him, you have Joshua is, is, is about routing the giant clans, and before him, Moses. And you have all these interesting stories that all comes back to this lineage of Ham, who who... One of the main stories for Pentecost that I, I believe is the, the Genesis chapter 11 and the Genesis chapter 10. 
Genesis chapter 10 is, you know, scholars will call that the table of nations. It's the, it's the list of all the, the nations of the world, these 70 or, you know, you know, there's some wiggle room there depending on which translation you have, but about these 70. And you have the story of the Tower of Babel, which I remember as a little kid, you know, you'd see this spiraling looking tower and, and, and that's where all the languages came from, right? We have these little Bible stories, but it says in Genesis 11 that the whole earth had one language and um, it came to pass, they journeyed near the east and they found a plain in Shinar, a plain, so not a mountaintop to build this tower, but they built it on a very flat, low piece of land. And they said this thing, they said, come let us make a name for ourselves. And so um, they chose to build this massive tower, making a name, name for themselves. And the judgment that came out of this was that God came down and confused their languages. Right? And so that's where in the Bible story as a kid you hear, that's where all the different languages of the world come from or the people groups, you know. And the Bible is a little bit more specific about it because if you back up to Genesis 10, it actually lists the, the, the different people groups, the, the table of nations. And Deuteronomy 32, for some of you guys who have been around here for a long time, and you understand that it, it actually is it's referencing what happened here when, when the Lord God actually divided um, the people across the earth according to the number of the sons of God or the, the gods of the Old Testament, the false gods or the lesser gods. And, and so you have this, this great rebellion of Babel. And if you really want to just kind of dumb it down or just take a message out of Babel itself, it's people that were driven to make a name for themselves, people that had an identity issue, right? Which many people in the world, we can, we can do that when we do not know our true father. And so they were out in selfish ambition, and they were, they were driven or motivated, motivated by a, a pursuit um, to have this identity, to project this image. And um, it, it always results, just to, just to go to the end of the story, in failure, division, isolation, and actually confusion, which is what happened to their languages and why they called it Babel, which means confusion. So you have the story of these rebellions, and then we have the brilliance of the Gospels and the New Covenant where Jesus comes, God in the flesh, without anyone knowing who he was, to reverse the entire thing. And it's wonderful and it's brilliant. And it's like, how will God, in his infinite wisdom, seeing all these divisions, seeing just one, just that sin had entered into the world at the fall, you know, sickness, disease, all the darkness that came in through the fall because man chose the law, the, the knowledge of good and evil, to step outside of what it meant to be the imagers of God and took on a different image, how will he come and, and, and redeem them from the, from the wages of sin, which is death and darkness and all this, all this bad fruit, and, and set it all aright? And so Jesus literally comes and he manifests God in a way that confounds us all to this very day, you know. Every bit of our identity issues that we struggle with, every bit of sin and darkness, all that we struggle with, it all comes down to actually seeing Jesus as he truly is, seeing God as he truly is, and being set forth, set free into that reality. And that's our 2 Corinthians 3. It's like we're the only religion where we're transformed by beholding him without a veil. We're transformed. Our lives, our person is transformed by actually seeing him accurately. It's not going back and... and and working something out or, 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 or having to do some type, jump through some sort of religious hoops. It's like Jesus has come and he's jumped through all the hoops, but he's manifested his heart. And so we have this 
the brilliance of this new covenant, this new wine that was going to be poured out upon us, that was going to be intoxicating to us, but not an intoxicating way as we think in the world, you know, because that's what happened on Pentecost. People thought they were drunk. These guys drank some, they literally called it, these guys drank some new wine, right, in Acts 2, and Peter had to step up and say, hey, these aren't, these, it's 9 a.m., man, like, these guys are not drunk like you're thinking. This is the outpouring of God's spirit. This is the inauguration of the new covenant. It's a a brilliant thing. But this intoxication was one that would wake up mankind from his fallen intoxication, from everything that had actually taken over his mind. It would purify him. It would cleanse him. And it would cause us to be who we already were and walk in that same mandate that was lost in the fall, that same mandate that said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue all of the darkness in this world. Set free your brothers and sisters and, and even all of creation, which is groaning for it. So I wanted to maybe touch on some of those things just as a history lesson, but then move into Pentecost and talk about the, the incredible reality of New Covenant Christianity. And, um, you know, in our, we have a study group that kind of meets, and, and this week it, it kind of ended up going into John 2, which is brilliant because John 2, verse 11, is called the beginning of signs. It's the first thing that Jesus actually did. And what he did is he forecasted the entire plan in this one meeting. It's a sign. It pointed to who he was, what he was going to do, all these wonderful things. And it's, uh, you know, it's a little bit controversial with some people, um, but because it had to do with wine, and that's a touchy subject around these parts. But the reality is the very beginning of signs that Jesus ever performed was at a wedding, a wedding in Cana in a small town. And... Um, he literally, some of you will know the story. Maybe I'll just kind of cliff notes John 2 for, for, for your sakes, because we can always read this, or you can read it on your own time. But Jesus shows up to this wedding, him and his disciples, they were actually invited. And when the wedding ran out of wine, which is a very shameful thing, by the way, in those days, it's, it's kind of an embarrassing uh, look for the family. For some reason, Mary, the mother of Jesus, looks to him, and he says, hey, they don't have any wine. You know, like he's a wine dealer or something like this. Like, for some reason, she brought it to his attention. So what must have Mary experienced with living with this guy for 30 years? You know what I mean? Like, what, what must knowledge has she had about this guy, this kid, you know, that, that aren't written for us to see? John says that in the end of the book of John, he says there were so many things which he did. If they were all written, the world couldn't contain the books that would be written. So she obviously had some, some hip somewhat of an idea that he could have had a say-so about the wine problem, you know, just food for thought. But Jesus' response to her was like, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My time hasn't come yet. It's not time for me to do these types of things out in public yet, mom. You know, and um, it's interesting because, you know, we've heard these type of teachings. It's like, you know, you can't control God. Woman, what does your, you know, he kind of rebukes her and then he has a change of mind or whatever. Um, But I love her response when he says this, what we would perceive as kind of a no, like, woman, what has this got to do with me? It's not my time yet. She turns to the servants and says, just do whatever he says. Just do whatever he says. Almost like, did you take that as a yes? Because we would take that as a no when we're reading the New King James here. You know what I mean? It sounds like, you know what I mean? But yeah, he, he just kind of like, woman, what is your concern? And she looks to the servants, which it's interesting that, that Jesus is at a party. Can you imagine realizing that God was at your wedding? in human form, in hindsight. 
Like he was dancing the crazy chicken with everybody. He was, he was excited. He was happy for us. He was laughing and like he actually made the wine. You know what I mean? It's just like, can you imagine what that would be like? The undoing of our misconceptions about the way God is that came in through the fruit of that fall. And so here Jesus is, kind of looks like he tells her no, but she takes it as a just do whatever he says. Like, oh man, this is going to be cool, you know? It says, now there were six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said, fill them all with water. And then he said, draw some out and take it to the feast. When the master of the feast tasted the water, you guys know the rest of the story. He's like, oh my goodness. He actually calls the groom and he says, every man at the beginning sets out good wine and then the guests of well drunk than the inferior, but you've kept the good wine until now. You know, this is the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana. And so it's just like it becomes this water, these six water pots that he's, he's transformed into this wine. He's, it's, it says this beginning of signs. They call it the beginning of signs. But it's like this, this was somehow some prophetic picture of what he was going to do. He was forecasting what he was going to do and what he was like. Kind, gentle. You know, where was he seated? He wasn't seated in the guest of honor. Like, they were in earshot of, like, him to say no and her to tell the servants who were also right there, just do whatever he says. So here Jesus is at a, at a party, maybe not dressed, you know, I don't know how he was dressed, but it's like, you know, they had to wear wedding garments there. But here he is, which is funny to think of Yahweh in a wedding garment, an outfit that they all wore. He's just one of us blending in our uniform, you know what I mean? celebrating these people's union and love and marriage, which you think God is like that. Like, he has the highest kingdom. His, his courts are the highest. How could you even entertain a governor, let alone a king, into your wedding? It's just like, yeah, he was there, and he was actually closest to the servants because he was there actually making things happen with them. And how brilliant is that if you were one of the servants? And this is prophecy of the new covenant, a proclamation or a, a sign that, that I'm going to do something and my servants are going to distribute, and it's going to affect everybody. It's going to bless everybody. And so it's this beautiful, humbling picture of who God is, man, you know. And also how in the knowledge of good and evil, in all of our ceremonial cleansings that are really just a reminder that we're dirty, <laughs> the six water pots, you know, he actually puts wine in the water pots, which is just, just wild, but don't you know, those are set apart for people to be cleansed before God. It's like, hey, God is filling them with wine. And how offensive is that? You know, I've done a few weddings. I've got a new, I've got a wedding coming up pretty soon. It's not in a Baptist church, is it? Okay. Well, I was going to say, imagine if we went to a Baptist church and did a wedding and Jesus was there and he filled up the baptism pool with wine because we ran out. Do you think Monday morning or Sunday, if it was on a Saturday, the preacher comes in and finds that, that, that red rim around the baptism pool, there's going to be an issue. These, these people have, they feel that, oh, don't you know, like, don't you know what this is for? And you used it to put your, uh, you know what I mean? They're talking about, you know, and rightfully so, that's super disrespectful. We wouldn't do that. But if Jesus did it, we would allow it to happen and be like, well, I guess he, you know what I mean? It's just like these six water pots, you know, the six is the number of mankind. Man was made on the sixth day, you know, six, 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 you know, the number of man, the mark of the beast, man. But, you know, <laughs> these six water pots, the number of man, and Jesus is like, you know, I, you, you're, you know, 
fill it with water and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put something inside of these stone pots that were made of stone. That's going to transform them to cleansing pots, to actually to vessels of my life that I'm pouring out for everybody and everybody will be able to partake of. And it will change them. It will make them happy. It will give them joy. It will give them life. It will enlighten their eyes. It's not going to intoxicate them and, and exuberate or exaggerate or exaggerate. One of those words, it's not going to do one of those words and cause them to actually manifest even more of the nature of Adam. It's going to transform their nature. And these are the prophecies that we had in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36, verse 26, literally says, I will put a new heart of flesh in them, not that heart of stone. Right? Jeremiah 31, all the, Isaiah 59, all these prophecies about I will put my spirit inside of you. Isaiah 59, and my words will be in your mouth from this time and forevermore. You and all your descendants forever. It'll never go away. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. You know what I'm saying? Ezekiel 36, 26. All these prophecies like, like you don't need the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or religious rules and regulations to actually follow. You'll actually know me. And not only that, your heart that's become stone by the poison of that tree and that fruit, it'll become flesh again as I've created it. You know, your heart will be sensitive to me again. You'll, become, you'll come alive. And no longer will, will sin be rules and regulations that you must follow. In your heart, anything that violates loving your neighbor, loving the Lord God yourself with all your heart, your neighbor as yourself, anything that violates that. And, you know, James does, literally says, he who knows the good that he ought to do and doesn't do it to him, it is sin. Like, you will have that heart of flesh to be sensitive. When you've, when you've contradicted love, you will feel it. And you will have the ability to repent and turn from that. It doesn't mean like, well, then there ain't no sin. Let's, let's just get sauced after church today and go wild. You know, so it doesn't mean that at all. Zero. Regulations, right? But it's just like, what it does mean is like, I'm going to transform you from the inside out. These pots are going to clean the dirt off the outside of you. But like, I'm going to actually transform you from on the inside. And there will be communion and communication between you and I. that You will come alive. You know, we think of intoxication... And it's, you know, you lose, lose all your inhibitions. And, and really, whoever you truly are in Adam, that's who you really let loose. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's who you really let loose, whether it's angry or lustful or whatever these things are. But this is not talking about that at all, you know. One of the, one of the, 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 the works of the flesh is drunkenness, right? You know what I mean? Which means we're, we're working or we're trying to do something to gain the fruit of the Spirit, the peace and the joy that can only be found in the spirit. But what Jesus is doing here, I mean, it was real wine, so there is that as well. But what he was doing here is forecasting, I'm going to put something on the inside of you that's going to transform you from the inside out. And he's celebrating love. And it won't be like Babel, you know, your version, which just ends up just in a place of confusion and division and disunity and misunderstandings. The love of God will cause you to bridge all those gaps. And you're going to take this thing back. Yeah. New wine. The new covenant. That's Acts 2. That's Pentecost. I had to think for a second. What are we doing here today? Oh, yeah, it's Pentecost. Let's get over there. So Acts chapter 2. Speaking of this reversal, all of this stuff happened. That was the beginning of signs. How is he going to reverse it? He doesn't say how, but he says, this is what I'm going to do. You know, His disciples were totally caught off guard, right? He goes to the cross. He actually dies as the lamb that we just sung about. He literally 
he literally pays for the, every bit of sin and darkness, right? Luke 24, when he says this, this gospel will be preached to all nations, you know, that the repentance and the remission of sins, you know what I mean? Repentance, meaning the ability to change your mind and realize who you truly are in me, that you're loved and valued, and, and remission of sins, that every bit of the fall that has touched your bloodline, the penalty of sin will be cut from your lineage. This was Jesus' word to these guys. But before he left, he tells them, hey, go hang out in Jerusalem until I send you the gift for my father. Before Pentecost happens. But Pentecost was actually already a day that they celebrated. Pentecost is actually they're celebrating the spring harvest. So that's pretty cool. It's, it's, it marks harvest. It, it marks when they got the Torah as well, when they got the law. <laughs> you know what? Isn't that funny? The old covenant was set in on Pentecost. I'm like, hey, actually... So was the new covenant. He, he does these things that are so distinct for us all to see and for them all to see, you know. And it's just, it's just beautiful thing. And I love Acts 1. Like, he's literally, he's literally telling these things to disciples. Did you know in those first, it's, in Acts 1 it says, in those first 40 days, he, he presented himself alive by many infallible proofs, having been seen by all these guys for 40 days straight. And um, I think it's 1 Corinthians 15, it says he was seen by over 500 people at once. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, you've got 40 days after the crucifixion, and there's such a buzz around Jerusalem. There's such a buzz around that city and around that region because people are like, the, the rumor mill. You think about it, he, he was crucified in the middle, you know, he was arrested in the middle of the night. Crucified by 3 o'clock the next day. You know what I mean? It's like... This thing happened so quick that even people that were kind of followers or casual followers weren't even around to really catch up to what was going on. Everybody thought they failed until three days later and the disciples' minds were blown. You know, Marion, Marion, you know, gets to meet him, thinks he's a gardener. You know, all these beautiful stories of John 20, John 21, John 19, all these, you know, all these different, these different, uh uh-oh, double. Just one? Wow. It's disappointing. Um... But all these different stories, man, that are happening have created this buzz. Not to mention, not to mention in Matthew 27, 51 and 52, like people literally burst out of their graves and showed themselves to people in the towns. You know what I'm saying? So you've got all, I mean, that's in your Bible. You've got all these dead people resurrected who had been dead for a long time, Matthew 27, 51 says, 2052. And it's just like, it's just like you have all these pe- dead people. You got Jesus, 500 people, which was, I, don't, I believe was actually in a different little region from there, which is quite interesting, but stay on target, right? Um, you got all the disciples. You got all the women. They didn't count those numbers. And so you've got this buzz for 40 or 50 days, 40 days until Pentecost, 50 days is what it ended up being, but of people that have heard about him that are like, this ain't over, man. And the rumor mill around the city just won that it was just so corrupt how it happened. Whether you liked him or not, like that's dirty. They trumped up charges on the guy and killed him. This thing had spread, and so there was a major buzz. And I love this. When Jesus is telling them, they're assembled together, and um, he, literally, he, he forecasts them to them again. He says, you, you've heard from me, um, John truly baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's telling them, hey, this is about to happen to you. Something different is going to happen. Of course, in their minds, when we think of people, the Holy Spirit coming upon people in those days, we're thinking of like Samson, you know what I mean? Gideon, the judges, the guys that would kill tons of people by the power of the Spirit of God, which those are very fun uh, things to read 
But these guys, they start to ask them, like, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Kind of like, you're going to put the spirit on us. Are we going to, are we about to finally kill these Romans? Are we about to rout them or at least knock them out and us be a sovereign place again? And like, man, the kingdom of Israel. And, and, and he says, hey, it's, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father's put in his own authority. But this is the beauty. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. It's like, hey, we're, we're going to, they understood, we're going to be powerful. And it's just like, yeah, maybe in a different way, not like Samson. You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. It's like, oh, so this isn't about you setting up shop in Jerusalem, though? It's like, no, this is, this is far bigger. It says, when he had spoken these things while they watched, this is Acts 1.9, um, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, he went up. And behold, two men in white apparel stood by them and said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing there gazing into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken from you in like manner um, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Which I, I love that verse right there. You've got a group of disciples. You've got 11 guys. I don't think, yeah, he's got 11 at that point. Kind of, Jesus just kind of floating up in front of them, vanishing like a movie, like an X-Men or, you know, just, and they're just standing there with their minds just, he tells them, go into the city, because you're, soon the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out upon you. You're going to receive power from it as well, and you're going to be my witnesses. That's exciting. By the way, that's just Christianity. That is just what Christianity is, Pentecost. Um, but that's exciting. I'm like, man, I'm going to be like Samson? Like, yeah, tell me where to go. But they're so just kind of, kind of, just kind of their mind's blown. They're sitting there watching him float up to a couple of angels. What says two men in all white, who know, you know, whatever they were, are standing like, hey, guys, he's coming back. Uh, didn't he tell you you had to be somewhere? <laughs> yeah. Might want to get to it. They're like, yeah, okay, yeah, man. You know what I mean? Imagine two, two angels showing up or people from the cloud of witnesses or whoever they were talking to you and you just don't even acknowledge them hardly because you're so geeked out of something else. And that's like normal life now. So Acts 2 happens. You know, they went and they rented out, you know, an upper room. This is another thing. People were, it's kind of a controversy if, if when Pentecost happened, if they were actually in the upper room. A lot of theologians, I didn't realize this as much, as much um, believe that they were actually in the temple because they would go there every day or most days. And it's possible either way, but I think that, that could be probable. But you know what happens? The day of Pentecost had fully come, and they were all with one accord. They were in unity. The difference from that Tower of Babel, that division and that confusion. And it says, and suddenly, this is Acts 2, 2, there came a sound from heaven, a roaring, violent wind, a mighty wind. And it filled the whole entire house where they were sitting. And that's where the controversial is over that word, because they call the house of the Lord by that same word. So this could be the upper room. This could be their house um, that they were renting or, 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 the, or the temple. But, you know, I'm not sure, but it, I'm sure that it happened. Then there appeared to them, div the pillar of fire came and appeared amongst them and divided into tongues and sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard um, 
their native tongue. And they were all amazed and marveled. And like, how do we hear our native tongue here? This is incredible. As they did this, you can listen to all the different regions where they came from. It says, Peter stands up in Acts 2.14, and he raises his voice. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. For these aren't drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, 9 a.m. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass on the last days. I will pour my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men dream dreams. And on my maidservants and on my, on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. So there's this, this brilliant reality of what's going on. He's articulating this is the fulfillment, the inauguration of the new covenant in all these obscure Old Testament passages, which you all know. And that's what's happening before you. This isn't some, you know, a bunch of people just went, drank through the night and they're acting nuts and you're acting crazy. Plus, there was a sign there. One of it was the actual sound and one was the, the languages. He literally speaks about Jesus. <laughs> you guys are the ones that crucified him. And, and, and in Acts 2.37, it says, When they heard this, they were cut to their hearts. And they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Talk about having a change of mind. What real repentance is. We regret accusing him and supporting his, his death. We were, oh my gosh, we missed it. Now what can we do to be right? How many bulls can we sacrifice? What's the right plan out of the knowledge of good and evil? What is the right plan uh, uh, of when you've accused the innocent? Oh my gosh, he was the Messiah. Um, to which Peter's answer is repent. <laughs> have a mind changed. In other words, you, you wish you wouldn't have done it? It's as if you did not. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children. And for all who are far off, as, many, um, God, as God will call. And so 3,000 people were added to um, their number in those days. So it's the birth of the church, the birth of, of, uh, of the inauguration of New Covenant Christianity. But it's this brilliant story knowing the history of things. Jesus has redeemed everything. You know what I mean? And just as, just as he had in the Old Testament, you know, the Tower of Babel, the confusion, the, the nations in, in, in Genesis 10 and 11, you know, in Genesis 12, Jesus, or God, same, starts over and calls this guy named Abram. He's like, well, I'll start my nation out of this guy, you know. I'm going to call you Abraham, you know, but you'll be, the, you know, you know, you'll be the father of these people, you know. And then he has Abraham, you know, Isaac and Jacob, and Jacob wrestles an angel who happens to be the Lord, becomes, becomes Israel, you know, all these beautiful and wonderful things. Israel becomes a slave to Pharaoh, sin, darkness, his identity as a slave. Moses, sent by God, comes and sets them free. God brings them out to the promised land, and on their way, God covers them with a pillar of fire. Every single night they have a supernatural streetlight above their entire congregation or all their people. That's a, a pillar, a pillar of a fireball that floated around over them at night. A cloud that covered them by day. They literally went through the desert regions of the world under a different climate than the desert, 
desert actually had, which is so brilliant for us as New Testament Christians. It's just like, hey, we're, we're called to live under, doesn't matter what the temperature is in, in, in the world, literally or, or politically or with what's going on in a room or a building. We live by a different kingdom climate, you know, a different culture that we're here to take, you know, release over the entire world. And you have these guys, these Jewish guys thinking, are we going to be like the judges? Are we going to take the place over? He's like, no, but you are going to receive power. And they come, you know, there was over 200,000 people could actually fit at the temple where the temple was, how large it was and how large its area was. The one Solomon built and, and, and then they had to rebuild for those days. And, 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 it, and it was this incredible thing. But there were so many of them that when this noise happened, it was heard throughout the entire city. All of a sudden, they're praying. There's this, there's this buzz around the city of Jesus of what has happened. People are saying he's resurrected from the dead. People have seen Joseph, the, the old, <laughs> who was like Pharaoh. They've seen, potentially, all these other people that have been raised from the dead after this, this crazy supernatural thing's happening. Then all of a sudden, you hear, you hear what sounds like a freight train before freight trains existed. A wind that roars like a tornado, and everybody on the city could hear it, and everybody gathered to where the disciples were. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was shocking, like, you know what I mean? It, it just, you can't imagine this, this wind that feels like reality itself is ripping, and heaven is, is, is actually invading this reality, because that's what was happening. And what they come to find out is the 12 or the 120 were gathered in this upper room, or whether they had made themselves by the temple, or however this worked, this roaring sound was heaven being released and the pillar of fire that used to float over their people that was their covering. God was like, uh, the, the covering is back. And the divided tongues went over everybody because we think of these things, why little tongues? Like, you know, like those old Kiss t-shirts or no, it was, you, no, it was uh, what was it? Not Rolling Stone t-shirts, you know, that people used to always wear, the Rolling Stone. It's like, you got fireball tongues over the top of people's head. Like, what does that even mean? Well, you know, in the Septuagint, you'll see that that word could actually mean, you know, no, it's, it's a tongue, man. It's a tongue, a fireball tongue floating on top of people's heads. And it was the reversal of all the rebellions that the enemy had sowed into the lineage of mankind. All of the confusion of Babel, where everybody's tongues were divided and, and unity was not happening. And God started with one person and made him one nation. He's like, this isn't about... It's not for you boys to know the times and the seasons, he says, about Jerusalem. He's like, this is about the whole world. And so not only were they redeemed and the repentance and the remission of sins, but they were empowered in that reality to reverse everything that came in through the fall and all of the rebellions of darkness that actually had partnered with mankind to spew hell onto the earth. So when Jesus says things about the gates of hell, which will not prevail, he's literally meaning that we're going to shut all of their entrances into this world until it looks like Eden again. The whole thing, not just Eden. Eden looks, you know, that's your kingdom come on the earth. And, you know, all these things Jesus said, it's starting to click with the disciples. And this is the inauguration of our new covenant. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's the reversal. It's the, I mean, Tower of Babel, everyone's confused. And I can't, I can't understand you anymore, man. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? To, to like, oh my gosh, I can understand him. I'm not from here. I'm in town for Pentecost, but I can understand what he's saying. And I can understand what he's saying. Hey, I grew up speaking that language. I grew up speaking that language. You know, all these people like, this is nuts. 3,000 people were, became believers instantly. <laughs> and not only the witness of the Holy Spirit on the inside of them, they were baptized in, in him or him in them. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
And this thing started to set off and spread like wildfire. And this is Pentecost. And it's like, man, Peter, Peter just sold Jesus out. You know, I don't bleep and know him. You know, cussing the girl. I don't bleep and know the guy. You know what I mean? Three times for the rooster crows. And now he's the one, because it's not by our works, that stepped up in some level of boldness. They're not drunk like it sounds. I'm telling you, this is what this is. This is Joel 2. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters. Wait, the girls? The girls too? The girls too. Everyone. All the divisions, the cultural divisions that have come through the, through the enemy. You know, all the ways we disqualify each other. God's qualified everyone. He's got us all completely and totally covered. Well, what, must, what must we do? Repent. Just have a change of mind. And be baptized into this reality. Let your whole life be swallowed in his whole life and accept what he's done for you. And you'll receive the Holy Spirit. And not only that, it's not just to be, you know, just your comforter, but you'll receive power to actually be a messenger of Christianity, of the new covenant. And that's what we're celebrating. <laughs> I will pour out my spirit on all Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see, like, dreams, visions. It's like, what are all these things? If you're the disciples, you're like thinking like, man, which one of us gets supernatural strength? Which one of us gets supernatural speed? You know, you know, Samson tied those foxtails. He was grabbing all them foxes. He's chasing foxes. He's like, yeah, which one of us gets it? It's just like, hey, like, <laughs> he's like, you'll be baptized in my spirit and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, visions. Like, well, yeah, which one gets to like, you know, have supernatural speed though? You know what I mean? And it's just like, listen, which I'm not against supernatural power in those ways as well. I would never limit that because I think that's quite very much a possibility. But the reality was you will have communion with God. The languages of heaven, the language of God himself will no longer be for just the prophets. You know, on certain times, he'll be on the inside of you. Dreams, visions, visitation, all these different aspects of, of, of God's voice in the Bible, it will be yours. It's like, but we're in a spiritual war. How are we going to attack a demon with a vision? It's like, hey, listen, like, you're thinking about it carnally and, you, and you'll lose. But, but you will be empowered with my spirit like James's testimony today. He prayed and he literally just in his mind saw what looked like an x-ray and the guy's hip being injured. You know what I mean? Just so happened he had pins in his hip and had pain in his, in his leg but he kind of didn't want to give James the one up because he was a Muslim. You know what I mean? But then he actually gave into it because James was persistent, and that's a great story. But, you know, it's just like you will, be, you will be empowered to reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and unbelief, John 16. To convict, reprove the world of sin, to change their mind from unbelieving to believing. And to carry this nature, the nature of Jesus at the wedding, because you've seen him as he is, and you manifest him everywhere. That's pretty cool. And that's Pentecost. It really is just Christianity. I'm not gonna write House of Faith, First Pentecostal or anything like that. Don't worry, we're not gonna change our, 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 our signs or nothing like that, but Pentecost just is the inauguration of what this thing's about. Yeah. Walking by the Spirit, being empowered. 
to change the mind of those who are unbelievers to believers. Yeah. I'll say one little story. I, I shared a word with a, with a girl. She's, a lady, she's my age. Several years ago. And it was similar to James. I was thinking, I had a few that I was kind of locked and loaded on. I was like, what would be good to just, I'll pour my spirit in your son, prophesy, dream dreams, see visions, see pictures. Like, what, how is this the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to, to reach the world? Well, we know this. You know, it's the gifting of the Spirit. It's, it's 1 Corinthians 12. But there was a girl here, here in town, and she was actually here at the Hof. This is several years ago. Never seen her before, never, or never met her, never, you know. Didn't come to our church or anything like that. But when I saw her, I, I had, similar to the picture what James said, just like a mental picture for this girl of, this beautiful, of, of a bedroom and this beautiful sunrise, like a brand new morning, you know. And, um, and I just told her that. I just shared it with her, which I know can be sort of awkward, but can you imagine if we all do this all the time? What will happen? That's the only reason we tell these stories. Um, so I told this girl, I could say her name, but I'll leave it off. But I just said, hey, you know, when I looked at you, I saw this mental picture of a sunrise coming into your bedroom and like being full of light. And I was like, you know that saying, like waking up on the wrong side of the bed? I felt like it was waking up on the right side of the bed. And that's you waking up on the right side of the bed. And I feel like the Lord's saying, like, there's a brand new day for you. And, um, what, what I didn't know was this girl had been raised, grown up as a Jehovah Witness a little bit south of here. And um, that's all she ever knew. And so she walked away from God. Those are um, air quotes for the podcast. She walked away from God. In other words, walked away from that religion and just basically was in the world. And, you know, to be honest, she believed all kinds of things. She was in relationships where, like, she believed in, like, the Anunnaki and science, scientists, you know, satellite science or whatever, the Anunnaki stuff, all that alien stuff is going, you know, she like, she was completely and totally lost. And she was going through a really dark season in her life. And she was abusing alcohol and stuff really badly. And um, one night she was, she was hugging a toilet, if you know what that means, after drinking all night. And she actually cried out to the Lord. She was like, God, if you're real, I need you. I need to know you. I need help. Which, you know, Jehovah Witness to Anunnaki, you know, you know, just who knows. Just God. Help. She said she went to bed the next day. And I have witnesses here that were there. Um, and I, I wasn't hung over or anything. She said the next day when I woke up, the sun was so bright coming into my room. And it was like I wasn't hung over. And it was just like I felt God. And I was like, Whoa. She's like, and I just started talking to him. And I talked to him all day, every day. I talked to him on the way to work. I talked to him all the time. I was just talking to him. She's like, but I wouldn't tell anybody because I wanted it to be real. And I, I didn't want to go to a church. I was like, I just didn't, I didn't know what to do. I, I just wanted it to be real. But I knew it was him. She's like, then I'm on the Rose Rudman Trail. We had a lot of Rose Rudman stories here, don't we? I'm on the Rose Rudman Trail exercising, and I run into this blonde-haired girl named Kaylin. And she's had, you know, she was just involved in giving her life to the Lord in a major way. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is 10 years ago. Uh, and, and we ran into each other, and, and I think she told you, like, yeah, I know this is kind of crazy, but this is what happened. And you're like, 
that ain't crazy at all. Oh my gosh, you know, they, they get into it. And Jesus is like, you should come to the, you should come to my church. She's like, I haven't come to a church. I haven't been to a church or anything like that. And we didn't know she was Jehovah's Witness or had been, you know what I mean? So she ends up showing up at the Hoff in 2012 when we first started. <laughs> and then this guy who's talking about how Jesus is God, you know, actually speaks something in her into her heart, which to me would seem so simple, almost like that's not very high, highly revelatory. I need some real, some real zingers to shoot at somebody. But it's like, I see you waking up on the right side of the bed. I saw a picture of a sunrise coming in your room and lighting your life up. And this is a brand new day. You know what I mean? And then this girl's heart, who she's not even communicating this to people for not wanting to be crazy and also not wanting to be, go to church necessarily, you know, realizes like, hey, that was God. His name is Jesus and you can walk with him. And it's as brilliant as that, as somebody as unintelligent as me, seeing something so, so, what we would see, maybe as kind of being general, could mean the world to somebody. And I will pour my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. They will proclaim things that they don't know. They will receive information from me that is edification, exhortation, and comfort, 1 Corinthians 14, 3, that is positive in building, and they will, they will actually dream dreams, they will see visions, and you know what else they'll do? They'll be redeemed of all things, and they'll never have to look at themselves, because Papa has them covered, you know? And not only that, he wants to put the robe on them, the new shoes on their feet, and a ring, which is the signet ring of heaven, the power of God, into their hands to proclaim the exact same to all their other fellow prodigal people, you know what I mean? And be, to be the messengers of this kingdom. And this is Christianity. Happy Pentecost. <laughs>